I forgot to make one important announcement earlier. There's a Good Friday service coming up this Friday. It's before Easter. Six o'clock, right here, for about an hour or so, uh, we're going to be singing songs about the meaning of Jesus' death. Uh, we'll be reading scriptures about that, and I'll be doing a chalk art uh, visual of that scene. And so, invite friends, please join us. We also have a very special, intimate time of communion together around tables And that is always a a great time we have together on Good Friday. So don't forget that. Good Friday, 6 o'clock this week. Today, though, is Palm Sunday on the traditional church calendar where we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I'm not going to preach on that today. Uh, We've been studying the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. And since I covered Jesus' triumphal entry back in Mark chapter 11... Today we'll continue where we left off in Mark at the arrest of Jesus in Mark chapter 14. Now, if you'd like a sermon outline or a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers will be able to help you out. Well, I got to tell you... uh, I've, I've married a lot of people over the years, and uh, not a lot of people, I just married my wife, but <clears throat> I've officiated a lot of weddings. And it's interesting to me, the different personalities I see, and uh, I've counseled uh, pre-marriage counseling, I've met couples who literally, before they're married, they're fighting like cats and dogs. And we try to work through that. Well, uh, there happened to be a dentist who married a manicurist. They had a lot of problems. So much so, they fought tooth and nail. Thank you. Thank you so much. Violence, you see, violence seems to be growing exponentially in our world. From the gun violence on the streets of Chicago to missiles raining down on Ukraine, violence by nations and individuals has become commonplace. And if you think it's only happening in big cities, think again. I just read an article in the Chicago Tribune about the lawless violence happening in a rural community in Arkansas, population 1,200. They have had gang violence there. Bystanders have been shot and killed. There's so much violence in that community, uh, they have enforced a curfew every single night. I'm wondering, what is it about violence or the threat of violence that's almost made civil discourse non-existent? Well... Jesus had something to say about that. It's what we'll focus on today for a bit. Uh, As we continue to study the last days and hours of Jesus' life on earth uh, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. If you want to uh, follow along, take out your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 14. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? I'm going to jump in right after the Last Supper here. 
On Mark, in Mark 14, um, 41, and then we'll talk about this. Uh, Jesus came to the disciples a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now, he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, you didn't seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen cloth and escaped naked. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came with swords and clubs. And looking at the passage, it seems that Jesus had a problem with the use of weapons in this passage. Um, Some people take that to mean Jesus was promoting pacifism, but that's not the case at all. In fact, in another place in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, Jesus actually tells his disciples to take a sword with them to defend themselves. Something different going on here. At his arrest, Jesus is talking about something much deeper and broader than just physical swords and clubs. In the Bible, the sword means something much broader than just killing. In the Bible, and in this passage, the sword symbolically represents the authority of this world's kingdom. That's what we'll explore today. Jesus' arrest in this passage is actually describing an extreme clash, if you will, of between the world, this kingdom's world and the world of this kingdom and the kingdom of God. When Judas shows up to betray Jesus with a kiss to the governing authorities, he's expecting armed resistance. Just like Peter who drew his sword. Expecting, they're expecting armed resistance. And as we read on, the Apostle Peter engages in violence to show us how hard it is for a follower of Jesus to live and act according to God's kingdom when we are interacting in the kingdom of this world. And we'll have much more to talk about that next time, but you can see this dilemma. God's kingdom is upside down from the world's kingdom. God's kingdom is counterintuitive to the followers of Jesus who live in the world. 
And this is literally strikingly pointing it out. This clash is happening right here. Jesus responds to Judas and his military entourage by saying, what in the world are you doing coming for me with swords and clubs? It shows that Judas and those with him don't understand Jesus or his kingdom at all. The sword in the Bible represents more than just the ability to kill somebody. Swords have the power not just to kill or take life. Here's the the real crux. Swords have the power to compel people to do what others want. Compelling force. Uh, Listen to Paul, who kind of alludes to this in Romans 13, verses 3 and 4. He talks about the authority of uh, those over us in the government. And he says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. It does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God and avenger of those who brings wrath on those who practice evil. The sword is there as a detriment against evil. Power to compel. You know, there are lots of ways to compel people what you want them to do. You can make people do what you want with money. If you have a job, guess what? You're doing things... You're being compelled to come there and do some stuff. In return, they give you money. You can compel people, make people do with you what you want with political power, as we've seen. Uh, financial power. If you're rich and wealthy, you can make people do all kinds of things. But especially you can compel behavior with military power, which we see happening all over the world. The sword represents here in the Bible the power to compel people to behave in a certain way. Historically and traditionally, kingdoms of this world are always associated with a sword. Let me ask, let's go here. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom basically is an administration. An administration is a way of ordering things so that things get done. Every organization has some sort of administration. They want things to get done in their organization. Uh, When a kingdom, though, has a new person in charge... The way of doing things usually changes, too. A team, sports team, gets a new coach. Ordering things are going to be different. Or a business hires a new CEO. We're going to change some things around here. A country crowns or elects a new emperor, ruler, president, or king. New administration. New way of ordering things to get things done. A church gets a new pastor. Now, don't get any ideas, but... 
I hope you like the way things are being done. (laughs) In the Gospels, Jesus has been introducing the coming of a new administration, a new way of doing things in the world that's extremely different from the way things have always been done with a sword. And that is where we often see the kingdom's clash. How we're going to compel people to do what we want. Now, today, we're just going to look at uh, what defines the kingdoms of this world. The week after Easter, I'll return to this uh, to look at the contrast of how the kingdom of God works. In very different ways, and why they clash. So let's talk about the kingdoms of this world. When when Jesus shows up with a small army, with swords and clubs, he is exemplifying the kingdom of this world. A way of ordering things so that things get done. What defines a kingdom in one administration from another is a list of priorities about what they're going to use and rely on to get what they want done. There are things at the top of the list. There are things in the middle of the list. There are things at the bottom of the list. In the kingdom of the world, at the very top of the list, to get things done, compelling people, is military power. The sword. It'll get it done. That's followed by political power. Then financial power, and down, down the list. Priority one, physical force, threat of physical force. Compel behaviors. In the kingdom of this world, things that compel behaviors are what really matters in the kingdoms of this world. Otherwise, they would lose power and their authority. So Judas comes to the garden with a lot of military power, swords and clubs, and subterfuge with a kiss. That's interesting. I always wondered about that. It's just odd. Why didn't he just come in and say, there he is? Well, it's part of the strategy. Uh, It's part of the false thinking. He's using subterfuge. He's feigning coming to Jesus in peace. Because Judas expected that Jesus would be taking up a sword in defense. But he didn't. The sword is always at the top of the priority list for kingdoms of this world. Force. Force them. And when you are looking at Jesus here, you're seeing that he rejects that administration of the world. The world's kingdom and the way they do things. And that's why he follows with saying, am I leading a rebellion? (laughs) Did you come at me with swords and clubs? And the Greek word rebellion is interesting. It it, it refers to a, a revolutionary, a guerrilla who uses violent means, sword, 
to overthrow an existing order. That's what happens in the world. Who has the most power? Overthrow the existing order to bring in a new order. Is that how Jesus' kingdom is going to come in? And Jesus is saying, no. <laughs> Why? You, don't, you don't get it. Is that who you think I am, Judas? That I'm an armed terrorist? That I'm an insurrectionist? That I'm a violent revolutionary? If you come at me with swords and clubs, it shows you don't understand me at all. Does that mean that Jesus is not trying to change the order of things? That he just wants to give us love and peace? No. While Jesus doesn't identify himself as a revolutionary, he's not saying he's not one. He's trying to say, you don't understand me if you think swords and clubs are going to stop me. (laughs) Jesus is a revolutionary you can take with swords. He's not a revolutionary you can stop with swords. He's bringing a revolution, a change of administration, but one that's very different from any other in history. Every other revolution to this day, uh, new people come into power with, and then do the same things, the same way, same administrations of how they will get things done. Same priority list. Where the power is. Jesus aims to make the kingdom of God Take the place of the kingdoms of the world. Um, And that's where we're going to stop today, on this Palm Sunday. Next time, we're going to talk about how the new administration Jesus brings in the kingdom of Christ is already beginning to change things. Now, we know Judas couldn't live by Jesus' kingdom. He loved the way The world ordered things, made sense to him. More than what Jesus was describing. You see, John chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that Judas loved money. So much so that he became a thief. See, if he could get ahead by turning Jesus over, his own status would, would increase in the world. So what we're seeing here partly is this encounter is a call. Jesus is kind of putting out there to learn. <laughs> Jesus is presenting a whole new way to order things in our lives, the lives of his followers. They're opposite of the way the world is working. I'll have more to say on this next time, but see, just like Peter, and I'm not kidding, I see it in my own life. I see it in in the church. It's going to be a struggle for believers not to use the same strategies to get our way. The kingdoms of the world. Instead, we're, we're going to, this is a struggle because it's so counterintuitive, so outlandish. This way, Judas fell. Instead, follow Jesus, and then 
in the kingdom of God ways, forgive, don't fight back. Bless instead of curse. Give instead of get. And a whole host of other things ordered in God's kingdom that are absolutely, we know what, the, we kind of know what they are, but they're foreign to our hearts. Absolutely ridiculous to live. How can you live that way? I'll tell you what, you can't. Can't do it. It's impossible. We, to, to do any of that, what Jesus is saying, in contrast to the way the world's kingdom operates and the way they order things. Oh, you got money? Okay, you're somebody. You got position? You're somebody. You got all the things you love in life and enjoy? You are somebody. Next time we'll see, you want Jesus' priorities are Blessed are the poor. What? Yeah, we'll see it. Uh, it's impossible. And the only way to even get close to living out this new order Jesus' kingdom brings is we must surrender our will and our life to Jesus. And like Peter, put your sword away, Jesus said. And then walk by the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. Not our power. We can't do it. I'm telling you. The struggle's right there. The clash will feel it. It doesn't make sense to our natural being. It's totally opposite. I'll talk about it next time. But for today, you need to understand that Jesus' first coming, which we're right in the middle of here, he changed the world without a sword but with service. Becoming a ransom for us. Didn't come to be served. He didn't come to judge us. He came to save us. As he said to Nicodemus in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so today, I invite you to believe in Jesus, as has been said before, to be saved from the coming judgment of God on sin and evil. Because at his second coming, Jesus will bring a sword to finish his work. But it's not a physical sword. It's the sword of his mouth. That's where his power is. He will be speaking God's word of power on judgment and evil and still remaining in the world, clearing the way for those who belong to him and serving with him in his thousand year reign on earth. Listen to it. In Revelation 19, 11 to 16, John says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, righteousness, he's going to do it right, he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are a flame of fire, and his his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. No one, in other words, what that means, no one has power over him at all. Knowing the name gives you power over them, see. Nobody does. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, linen white, clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. With it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us pray. Father, thank you for bringing the reality of God's kingdom to our lives through our faith in Jesus. We entered his kingdom when we believed in him, as Jesus told Nicodemus. We were born again. Help us, Lord, to believe in Jesus and enter that kingdom if we have not. And then help us to live according to your kingdom, serving instead of being served, giving instead of hoarding, and all the rest that comes with the way you order things in the world. We ask for the grace to do all this and commit ourselves to learn and to grow in that. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.